St. Alphonsus divides his sermon for the Feast of Corpus Christi into two parts. In the first part, he considers the great love which Jesus Christ has shown us in giving us himself in this sacrament. And in the second part, he discusses briefly how we ought to receive him in order to draw great fruit from Holy Communion. So we'll follow that outline, generally speaking, even the text to some extent of St. Alphonsus' sermon. So the first point, the love that our Lord has in leaving us himself in this sacrament. We read in St. John's Gospel that Jesus loved them unto the end. St. John Chrysostom indicates that that means not only the end of his life, which is certainly true and is indicated in this statement, but also to the very boundaries, to the limits, to the borders of love itself. But what boundaries or borders can there be on love since God is love and God is infinite? Is not love then also infinite? unbounded, without limit. Now in the end, as St. Alphonsus quotes St. Bernardine, those gifts which are given at death are the most highly esteemed treasures of all. Grandma leaves you a necklace. Dad leaves you his best hunting rifle. There are nicer necklaces in the world and more expensive rifles, but nothing can replace these because they were given by someone to whom they meant so very much and given at the very end of their lives. They give them as reminders of themselves. They give them as if to say, even though I'm going now, I wish to remain with you for the rest of your life. And we would not dare give away or sell these things except in extreme necessity, since these things represent their love for us and their wish to remain with us, their wish that we should have some part of them with us. And as precious as these things are, they are only tokens. For what are things compared to the people? But Jesus, hanging on the cross, left us his mother. And the night before he was handed over, he left us himself. He did not leave us a thing. He left us himself. His wish to remain with us can actually be fulfilled Because he's God. He can do that. He has that power. And love knows no boundaries. For God is omnipotent. God leaves not a token of his love, but he leaves his very love itself. God is love, and Jesus Christ is God. Take and eat. This is my body. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me that God could be made present at the command of a man each time that man offers the proper words over the proper matter. Who could imagine such a thing? That God himself would be food for his creatures. Who could imagine such a thing? If faith were not more certain than experience and even than science, we could not believe it. But blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. What boundaries are there to love? To take a little liberty with an analogy from St. Francis de Sales, imagine sitting at the great table of a great king, and everyone sitting around is eating their favorite dishes. But the king, loving you above all the rest, has you seated next to him, that you may share his meal with him. 
But not so in the Eucharist. The king has not shared his food with us. He has shared his very substance to be our food. We dine on the divine nature. For we eat his flesh and drink his blood. But Jesus Christ is very God. And where the body and the blood are, so also are the soul and the divinity. With desire, I have desired to eat this Pasch with you. St. Alphonsus quotes St. Matthew's Gospel. How dare we, in the face of such a statement, how dare we focus on our unworthiness? With desire, I have desired to eat this Pasch with you. Yes, of course, we should rid ourselves of our sins. Confess if you need to, but get the attention off of yourself. You confess, be contrite, not so as to notice more your unworthiness, but rather to grant your Creator his heart's desire that he should come to you in this sacrament so that you may live. It's not about him. To him, it's all about us. Once our foundation is built, we don't keep building on it. We'd never see the structure in all its glory. We don't focus on our sins except to get rid of them. So much does our Lord love us, even with a divine love in his human heart, that he conceived of such a thing as the sacrament of confession so that he could prepare you to have his heart's desire to be knit one with your soul Could anything but infinite love contrive such a marvel as this? With desire, I have desired to eat this past with you. Human love just gives up at some point. There's nothing more that can be done to achieve the love or the salvation of the beloved. But divine love knows no boundaries. Nothing is impossible. And what is more possible than union with the beloved. That is what it means when we say to the end, union with the beloved, to the borders of love itself. He has given himself up entirely. He has sacrificed all of himself for this one thing, to be with us. This is how we know it is true love. He seeks nothing for himself but all for us. He gave himself up for us. His attention is entirely on us. Should not our attention be entirely on him? So for the rest of the sermon, uh, it's pretty much a quote from St. Alphonsus with a few adjustments here and there. But Hence, he says, there is nothing from which we can draw so much fruit as from Holy Communion. St. Dennis teaches that the most holy sacrament has greater efficacy to sanctify souls than all other spiritual means. St. Vincent Ferrer says that a soul derives more profit from one communion than from fasting a week on bread and water. The Eucharist is, according to the Holy Council of Trent, a medicine which delivers us from venial and preserves us from mortal sins. Jesus himself has said that they who eat him, who is the fountain of life, shall receive permanently the life of grace. He that eateth me, the same shall also live by me. 
Pope Innocent III teaches that by the passion of Jesus Christ, he delivers us from the sins we have committed and by the Eucharist from the sins we may commit. According to St. John Chrysostom, the Holy Communion inflames us with the fire of divine love and makes us objects of terror to the devil. The Eucharist, he says, is a fire which inflames us that like lions breathing fire, we may retire from the altar, being made terrible to the devil. How much time do we waste being afraid of the devil? Time wasted. St. Gregory says that in communion, the soul is so inebriated with divine love that she forgets and loses sight of all earthly things. But some will respond, I do not communicate often because I am cold in divine love. In answer to them, Gerson says, Will you then, because you feel cold, remove yourself from near the fire? When you are tepid, you should more frequently approach this sacrament. St. Bonaventure says, Trusting in the mercy of God, though you feel tepid, approach. Let him who thinks himself unworthy reflect that the more infirm he feels himself, the more he requires a physician. And in the Devout Life, chapter 20, St. Francis de Sales writes, There are two sorts of persons who ought to communicate often. The perfect, to preserve perfection, and the imperfect, to arrive at perfection. But it cannot be doubted that he who wishes to communicate should prepare himself with great diligence, that he may communicate well. And so St. Alphonsus moves on to his second point, the preparation we ought to make in order to derive great fruit from Holy Communion. Two things are necessary in order to draw great fruit from communion, preparation for and thanksgiving after communion. As to the preparation, it is certain that the saints derived great profit from their communions only because they were careful to prepare themselves well for receiving the Holy Eucharist. It is the same God that came to them as comes to us. What is the difference? Do we prepare ourselves as well as the saints did? It's easy to understand why so many souls remain subject to the same imperfections after all their communions. Cardinal Bona says, The defect is not in the food, but in the wanting of preparation for it. For frequent communion, two principal dispositions are necessary. The first is detachment from creatures and disengagement of the heart from everything that is not God. Detachment from creatures and disengagement of the heart from everything that is not God. Now, many things lead us to God. The loves that we have in our lives, those who are close to us, they're good and holy things. But in the end, if God asked those of us, would we give those up for the sake of Holy Communion? It's a horrible exercise, but it can be very helpful. Imagine surrendering everything you love for the sake of being united to our Lord. Then you're disposed to receiving Holy Communion. Nobody's asking you to give up those things that you love so much, unless, of course, they interfere with your love of God. They should lead you to the love of God, so you love them more with a holy love. But could you set aside every earthly love for love of God?
The more the heart is occupied with earthly concerns, the less room there is in it for divine love. Hence, to give full possession of the heart to God, it is necessary to purify it from worldly attachments. This is the preparation which Jesus himself recommends to St. Gertrude. I ask nothing more of thee, he said to her, than that thou come to receive me with a heart divested of thyself. Let us then withdraw our affections from creatures, and our heart shall belong entirely to the Creator. Here we must be careful to focus on our sins at this point, any more than just to confess them and be rid of them, is too much attention to ourselves. Confess and then receive the love of God. Turn your face up to the sunshine to receive its warmth and its light and not to the ground to look for the shadow of ourselves only block out the sunshine. The second disposition necessary to draw great fruit from communion is a desire to receive Jesus Christ in order to advance in his love. He, says St. Francis de Sales, who gives himself through pure love ought to be received only through love. Thus, the principal end of our communions must be to advance in the love of Jesus Christ. He once said to St. Matilda, When you communicate, desire all the love that any soul has ever had for me, and I will accept your love in proportion to the fervor with which you wished for it. To desire to grow in the love of God. St. Francis de Sales tells us elsewhere, We can ask for nothing greater than the love of God, for that includes all good things. Thanksgiving after communion is also necessary. The prayer we make after communion is most acceptable to God and most profitable to us. After communion, the soul should be employed in affections and petitions. The affections ought to consist not only in acts of thanksgiving, but also in acts of humility, of love, and of oblation of ourselves to God. Let us then humble ourselves as much as possible at the sight of a God made our food after we have offended him. One learned author says that for a soul after communion, the most appropriate sentiment is one of astonishment. Astonishment at the thought of receiving a God. Such a soul should exclaim, What? A God to me? A God to me? Let us also make many acts of love of Jesus Christ. For he has come into our souls in order to be loved. Hence, he is greatly pleased with those who, after communion, say to him, My Jesus, I love thee. I desire nothing but thee. Let us also offer ourselves and all that we have to Jesus Christ, that he may dispose of all as he pleases. And let us frequently say, My Lord, thou art all mine. Thou hast given thyself entirely to me. I give myself entirely to thee. What else is there? What else is there? After communion, we should not only make these affections, but we ought also to present to God with great confidence many petitions for his graces. The time after communion is a time in which we can gain treasures of divine graces. St. Teresa says that at that time, our Lord remains in the soul as on a throne, saying to her what he has said to the blind man, What wilt thou that I should do to thee? 
as if he said, But me you have not always. But that you possess me within you, ask me for graces. I have come down from heaven on purpose to dispense them to you. Ask whatever you wish, and you shall obtain it. I have come down from heaven on purpose to dispense many graces to you. Ask whatever you wish, and you shall obtain it. What great graces are lost by those who spend but little time in prayer after Holy Communion? What great graces are lost by those who spend but little time in prayer after Holy Communion? Let us also turn to the Eternal Father then, and bearing in mind the promise of Jesus Christ, Amen, amen, I say to you, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it you. Let us say to him, My God, for the love of this thy Son, whom I have within my heart, give me thy love. Make me all thine. What a simple prayer, but it includes everything. Give me thy love. Make me all thine. What great graces are lost by those who spend but little time in prayer after Holy Communion. And if we offer this prayer with confidence, My God, for the love of this thy Son, whom I have within my heart, give me thy love, make me all thine. My God, for the love of this thy Son, whom I have within my heart, give me thy love, make me all thine. The Lord will certainly hear us. And he who acts thus may become a saint by a single communion. What great graces are lost to those who spend but little time in prayer after communion. My God, for the love of this thy Son, whom I have within my heart, give me thy love, make me all thine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.